Welcome to Inside the Rope, the podcast where we speak to the leading minds in wealth management. I'm your host, David Clark, and in this episode, I'm speaking with Luke Keery. Now, a lot of you will know that name, but many listeners to the podcast focused on wealth management won't. Luke Keery is a prominent, successful National Rugby League player who plays for the Roosters in the National Rugby League. Luke's 31 years of age and has had 11 years in the National Rugby League and he's been highly successful. He's played for New South Wales, Australia, won three grand finals, as well as winning the Clive Churchill medal, which is awarded to the best player on the field in that grand final. Now, I'm sure you're thinking, well, what's Luke Keery got to do with wealth management? And I'm going to ask you to provide me with a little bit of latitude. Luke interned for me last year whilst he had an ACL injury that kept him out of the game for a while. During that period, I was able to understand the skill set that Luke has acquired over his 11 years in the NRL and the mindset that he brings to high performance and dealing with stressful situations where I think there's just so many parallels to both investing, management and other life situations that I am sure that listeners to this podcast will get lots out of this episode. During the episode, Luke touches on a well-documented incident that happened when he was age 23 as a junior at the Rabbitohs celebrating an end-of-year season on Russell Crowe's property where, by all reports, Russell Crowe, their co-owner, was berating some junior players in the team and Kiri stood up for those younger players, interjecting, ending up with him leaving the property all of a sudden at around 2.30am, catching a cab to the nearest airport and a flight straight home. I think that's an incident that really defines the type of person Luke is. And I think you'll agree some of his insights that he brings to high performance and operating a team can be really applied in all sorts of areas in life. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I do. Luke talks about how he's starting to think and prepare for life after football. And to that extent, he's asked me to offer, if anybody has any ideas or thoughts or where he's interning, to please email me at david.clark at codacapital.com and I'll put you in touch. Thanks and enjoy the podcast. Luke Keery, welcome to Inside the Rope. Thanks for having me, Clarky. It's good to be back. Again, unusual uh, circumstances. Our, our listeners will probably need a bit of an explanation. Uh, people uh, tuning in to listen to the leading minds in wealth management, um, and and of course you interned with me here uh, last year. I want to say when you when your knee was injured, uh, but perhaps for some of those non-sporting people, maybe you can give a bit of an introduction to yourself. Yeah, it's uh, probably a podcast not many people thought I would uh, end up on. But um, yeah, I've always had a really keen interest in business. Um, father made me do a business degree uh, through through my footy career and I was, didn't like it at the start. And I'm forever grateful for him now. Uh, finished it, took me seven years. And by the end of it, um, started to get a real keen interest in finance and then I'm 31 now, so a couple of years ago, I decided uh, I need to start looking at at what my interests are and what I'm, what my next chapter in life looks like. And a few conversations with different people, and it, it ended up in front of you, uh, 2021 and the ACL. So I'll be forever grateful too. I spent got to spend the year here at Coda with you, um, 
I learn a lot about a lot of different things, business, finance, investments. Um, and I'm kind of gone on this journey now where, um, you know, planning for life after footy, it's something I've got a really keen interest in and um, I'll be looking to dive into it, hopefully not too soon, but um, over the next few years. One of the things I was really intrigued with and impressed is that you weren't the normal leaguey, as I'd put it. Um, you know, in my experience, you know, the, the ability to articulate self, the, the ability to think thoughtfully uh, and add value was, I guess, above and beyond what many people would expect from a, a, rug, a modern rugby league player. Um, but I was also really intrigued at how you resonated with uh, staff, clients and people, particularly your thoughts and thinking around dealing with pressure, uh, grit, determination, high performance, if you'd like. So that's what I'd really like to delve into. And I think that many listeners to the podcast um, are really intrigued by trying to break down high performers and how they get there. And there's a few things from that period when you were interning with me that really influenced me and stood out. So hopefully we can cover a few few of those things. But by way of background, even break it down a little bit more, you're a rugby league player for the Roosters. Give, give people a bit of an idea of your career and what you've done. Yeah, so went to Oak Hill College uh, out there in the, in the hills, uh, rugby union all through school. Um, I was never, I, yeah, I was never the, the, the star. So I, I didn't have contract or anything like that coming straight out of school, spent a year up on the Gold Coast, just trying to find my way in life, in football. Um, it was actually a great experience. I, I went up there, worked as a chippy, started my uni degree, played for Burley Bears. Um, and then in 12 months, um, South said, come down to play for the, uh, under 20 side, no guarantees, no contract. And then with it, the day I got to see us, within 12 months, I was, I was playing in RL and it all just, it was a whirlwind that happened um, so quick. So I spent uh, five seasons at Souths, um, won a premiership in the first season, which was which was lucky, and then um, transferred over to the Roosters. So I think I'm in sixth or seventh season now at the Roosters. We won two comps there in 2018-19, got to represent New South Wales in 2020, Australia in 2018 and 2019 and um, yeah I'm still still kicking along now with the Roosters but yeah, it's been a great career I think my wife was saying the other day I think it's 11th or 12th season now if you told me that at 17 18 I would have uh, I wouldn't have believed you but yeah it's been a fantastic journey and I've just learnt so much um, about myself about my life about what you said about performing um, I feel like I've been, it's been a big um, help playing for South and the Roosters, probably the two biggest Sydney clubs, um, two big supporter bases with a lot of, I guess we'll say external pressures. Um, and I've learnt to kind of deal with that uh, in different ways. And I've watched great players come through both clubs deal with it. Well, I was amazed. I think the first day that you started interning here, we walked across the road to, to get a sandwich, or whatever you do for lunch. And all of a sudden I became very aware of people's heads turning and people nodding at you and waving or similar, um, which, you know, is an unusual thing for me, of course. Um, you've also probably downplayed your career there a little bit. Is it Clive Churchill medal, the best player for uh, the grand final? 2018 grand final, yep. Yep, there you go. So there, there's a big one. But I, I can... Re 
you know, I, I can recall hearing of you and watching you at uh, Oak Hill. Yep. Um, brother-in-law coaches up there, sportsmaster, called you out early as a talent. Um, but then I, I, I guess when you popped up at Souths, I also noticed and took note because some of your behaviour was very different to that of what a traditional league was and there was an instance, I think, where the, the owner, Russell Crowe, um, that hit the media and otherwise. What, what did that teach you? Yeah, that I look back on that now. Um, it wasn't easy at the time. It, it, I was 20, maybe 21 years old at the time. It's a pretty well-documented incident, what happened. Um, I took a lot of learnings out of it. I, on reflection, I feel like morally, ethically, uh, my intentions came from the right place about, you know, what I stood for and who I was trying to protect, I guess. Um, how I dealt with it at the time as a 21 year old is very different to how I would deal with it now, uh, as a 31 year old with two kids, I look back and, you know, there's the immaturity, things like that. But, um, I guess. I didn't realise how big of a moment that was going to be at the time. I was just something to happen. It was spur of the moment. Uh, there's a lot of emotions involved. And a, I, I got a lot of, yeah, this. I felt very uncomfortable with it for a long time where people said, you know, I admired you for your behaviour uh, and I didn't understand what all that meant. But looking back now as, you know, someone with two kids who have seen a lot of different things happen, uh, especially in rugby league, I feel like I took a lot of growth out of that situation. Um, I have no ill feelings towards Russell. He's not a bad person. Or that was just an incident that happened. It happens in every single workplace. But, yeah, it was a bit of a defining defining moment for me as a, as a man too to um, really look back look back on that event and, and find out ethically and morally what type of person I wanted to be and what values I stood for. Terrific. If we could maybe focus or talk a little bit about your role and your job in, in, from day to day. The, the performance, there's nowhere really to hide, um, I would imagine. How do you deal week in, week out with that sort of pressure? Yeah, so sport is probably the, you've got a few different pressures. You've got your internal pressure from inside the organisation, from your, your teammates, um, your coaches, your administrators, obviously – um, we can be like, like any job we can, you know, be let, let go at any point, but mm. that we all know that there's that internal pressure. If you don't perform, um, you will be moved on. There's the external pressure. You've got the media, the papers, uh, TV constantly talking about your performance, your team, you as an individual. Um, and then you've got the whole outside world. You walk down the street, people asking you, um, people like, judging you, wanting to talk about it. So it's kind of three different three different pressures you have to deal with as a player. And um, I feel like I've done it well at times in all three and I've done it poorly at times for all three. Um, but it is a delicate, delicate balance that I haven't seen too many young players come in and just be able to soak it all in and not not let it affect you. It would affect people in, in a lot of different ways. And you'll see that with uh, especially the young, talented kids. They, it's, it's very, very easy to get caught up um, in the, in the pressure and it can be, it can be good pressure, good hype, and it can be, it can really drag you down. Yeah. We see that in the papers a lot, you know, Monday morning for any of the football codes, it would seem 
Um, there's always an incident that would appear every other week uh, of perhaps some of that pressure. And of course, the advent of mobile phones probably makes the spreading or proliferation of that sort of messaging much more uh, uh, apparent than it was in the past. But you're right, even you coming back in today and us catching up and walking around, you know, there, there, there are people in the business who all want to say g'day and hello and, you know, give, give you a pricey of your form, et cetera, which, which is remarkable. Um, how do you deal with the big moments um, at, or, or is it all the same? Um, you know, if yeah. you're dealing with a state of origin, a grand final week, one of those type of things, is it different? Yeah, it is. It is, it is different. Um, and I've learned this through experience, through watching other players do it, through watching them do it well, through watching them do it not so well. And I think uh, there's, there's three things for me. There's, there's preparation. Um, and this is the preparation is every single day, what you do every single day, uh, mentally, physically, how you prepare, how you train, how you eat, how you treat your body, how you look after your mind. Um, you need to be able to look at yourself in the mirror before those moments that come up, the grand final week, the state of origin, uh, the big games, you need to be able to look in the mirror and go, I've done everything that I possibly can to be ready for this moment. That's the first thing. If you got to get that right first, the second thing for me is about fear uh, and the story that you're telling yourself because <clears throat> you can take that pressure and if it goes into your mind, you can start, you can make up some stories that can, you know, that pressure can become so overwhelming to yourself. And there's a big part of, I've found for myself and I've seen it, you know, with your Tedesco's, your Cronk's, um, your coordinators, players like this, who you need to sit there and actually unpack that, that pressure, fear, stress, and objectively look at it and go, is this real? What story am I telling myself? What's the worst that can happen here? Da, 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 da. And you need to become comfortable with the pressure, the fear, the stress. That's the second thing. And then the third thing is, and this is probably the hardest, being able to let go in the moment. No. I, I did a really important thing at the start of my career with a sports psycholo uh, psych psychology um, doctor who said, you want something so bad, but you need to learn how to let it go and almost not care about it. And I didn't know what he was saying at the time. And then <clears throat> as I started to be, uh, put myself in more of these situations with, with high pressure, I, I understood that just by me wanting to do well or wanting to win a grand final or wanting something so bad, it wasn't going to make a difference. I needed to be able to drop all of that pressure, fear, anxiety, um, expectation in the moment. And people call it the zone um, flow, but you need to be able to just let it all go and trust that everything's – and that comes from step one and two, I think, being prepared, um, becoming comfortable with the pressure, fear, anxiety, and then – actually just dropping it all and and go and do your thing. And is that dropping it all akin to letting your instincts take over or going to have fun or how do you equate that all? Yeah, there's the big there's the big thing in sport about results and fun. We always you know, there's a there's the argument, the debate at the moment about should we have scores for, for kids? Yep. Um 
it's for me. I know f- I've seen this with James. That's the same players. It's always been about the process. If if you if you are sitting there in a grand final going, I need to win this game. This have, I have to win this game. You attach the start attaching the game to um, how you are as a person. Mm-hmm. I it it goes pear shaped. Mm-hmm. Um, it is about. As cliche as this sounds, it is about the fun and the process and you loving doing what you're doing every single day and you're not attached to an outcome or, um, you know, yeah, it's it's a very hard thing to to detach yourself from, mm-hmm. uh, especially because a lot of sports people are very obsessed with what they do, especially the great players, and then to be able to actually detach yourself and detach your identity from winning and losing um, it's a very complex thing that it's very hard to do. Well, it's interesting because it strikes me when we talk about financial markets and investments, there are a lot of people who are very, very good performers, but they were quite often acknowledged there's a whole heap of variables they can't control. Some of the best investors that I think that we've spoken to will ask them questions and I'll say, I don't know. I seriously, I, I don't know. And, and almost the better investors will be quicker to say that on more things because they don't think that they have to show people they're all knowledgeable in this area. And I think what you're saying there in in my language is that there are a whole heap of variables that you can't control. So you can't necessarily every time control the outcome. You can only control the input. That's exactly right. And in those big games and big moments, there are so many things that can happen and are happening. Crowds, emotion, refs, conditions, how the the guy next to you is playing, how the opposition, that, that there's so many different things that can happen and exactly right. You have, once you become comfortable with the idea that you have absolutely no control over it, um, you tend to, you tend to be able to regulate your emotions better in the big moments. And that's, you'll see the players in the, there's the pressure games, but then there's those, there's two or three moments in those big games where, um, I feel like the players who can regulate their emotions in those moments and through those periods are the ones that come up with the, you know, they tend to come up with the try or the, the field goal or things like that. Mm-hmm. The big play. Yeah. And now it, it's, it strikes me that you've thought a lot about this and, and the process of performance. Who are some of the influences and what have they brought to the table for you of that journey that you've brought? What was it, 11 seasons? Yeah, 11 seasons now. The start, start of my career – um, I didn't have too many influences. I had dad who was always you know, rock for me. Um, but as your dad, you just, your dad just wants you to get out there and, and play and have fun. First head coach was Michael Maguire, who's a very, um, very good coach, very emotional character. Uh, I feel like I wouldn't be the player I am today without him. He taught me, he taught me toughness. He taught me hardness. He taught me how to how to be an NRL player. Mm-hmm. Obviously, being a smaller body, uh, it, it didn't come natural to me. But then the two, probably the two big um, influences in my career have been Trent Robinson, who's the Roosters coach, and, and Cooper Cronk, who came over in 2018. Um, Trent is really smart guy, but he, where I'm able to sit here and talk to him as we are now about uh, everything, about performance, um, about how to regulate emotions, about how to prepare for a game, a year, a season. That, 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 that's easy. Very good soundboard. Seems to be that guy who always comes up with the right answer yeah. in that time. And then Cooper was someone I got to watch 
for two years. I'm still very close with him. I still speak to him all the time. A player who has come up with these, has performed in, in under high-pressure situations many, many times through his career at all different levels. Um, and he's a really good guy. He, he never sacrificed the type of person he was um, for the player that he wanted to be. Something I really admire about him. You see all these players across the world who are very at the top of their game. You're Michael Jordan, you things like that. And they have some questionable things they do mm-hmm. outside of sport, um, which probably makes them the player they are. But to see someone like Cooper, who was a rock solid person, um, was really in tune with his morals and his values, but was also able to perform at a very high level on the field. Something I admired, uh, I admired greatly about him and, He's a bit, been a big influence on the way I am as a player and um, the person that I am today. It's interesting you call out some of that methodology of Trent Robinson and organisation. It strikes me that that's a, a a long way away from the footage I used to see and the pictures you'd see of the uh, Roy Masters. I used to love the Western Suburbs magpies and Tommy Radonikus as a kid and you know, you'd see pictures of them in the shed slapping each other in the face before they had run on. So it, it seems that there's been a lot more sophistication and, and a different approach taken um, and it would appear as an, a total outsider that as an organisation the Roosters have a, a high performance culture and structure and operation when you compare to some of the other organisations. Is that is that correct? And and also, how do they create that? If that's the case, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know if that's correct. I haven't been a part of these other organisations. Obviously, I can probably only talk for the Roosters, but Robbo is a very unique character. I think in the game, um, there's not too many coaches like him, and his way is not the only right way. There's, mm-hmm. you know, I know Ivan Cleary is not like Robbo, and he's a very successful coach. He does it does it very differently. Craig Bellamy um, is exactly the same, but. I think we, as players, we appreciate Robbo so much because of the uniqueness, um, the ability for him to open different pathways for us. Like this might sound a bit odd, but he he'll give us books in the preseason and podcasts to listen to and poems. I've <laughs> gone through poems and things like this, just purely to open the door for the boys to talk about something different to grow as people rather than football all the time. And then um, while he's doing all this, there's a huge huge system in the background that he's building and putting in the framework for our organization to, you know, hopefully be, um, one of the most professional top organizations that are attracting these kids and, and bring him through. And he goes off in the off seasons and spends times with, you know, your Liverpools, your Man United, your Barcelona's, um, different coaches from different sport, constantly trying to, um, constantly trying to, trying to get us better um all the time and it's just like a it's a it's a daily thing for him where he's just constantly putting in the work putting in the work and he's surrounded himself now with a good team how do you deal with tough times how do you deal with failure when there's losses um i think in your line of business injury and the just the size speed and the collisions um i think you're saying to me today that there's a whole bunch of your Roosters teammates that are out at the moment injured. Um, how do you deal with moments in your career where you're down? Yeah, it's, that's a tough one. Obviously, resilience resilience is a big thing. It's always spoken about in sport. I think sports are great. Um, 
it's a great tool for learning how to deal with with failure because every single week we get judged by a school board mm-hmm. and it's success or failure and that judgment can come from a lot of different places like i said before it can come internal and it can come very very hard externally plus there's probably player ratings and sort of fantasy leagues <laughs> and all these type of things in social media that's just becoming more and more and more so you yeah. could if you were that way inclined you could run off the field and almost yep. look at your score at half time and yeah and, yeah well that's the thing it, it it can come and it can come heavy uh, and we've seen it with players where it's been a constant barrage of and that's let's let's take all the emotion out of it it is you know a player failing and here comes the criticism and then how you deal with it you see you can watch players and go oh he's he's doesn't want any about any part of this or oh no he's stepped into this i think the biggest thing for me um and i, I try to try to pass this on to the younger younger kids that come through and i said it before not atta- not attaching your identity to a result or you as a footballer because i lost that game on the weekend does not make me a worse person doesn't make me a worse dad doesn't make me doesn't make you better than me um and it is very very hard for especially professional sports players but also even in your industry mm-hmm to to try not to attach your actual identity and the person you are to the result that happens in your workplace um and it can be hard when it means so much to you mm-hmm. um and that's what i was talking about before about you it's got to mean a lot to you for you to be successful but you've also got to be able to let it go and not be so attached to it that it can it can honestly take over your life um and i've i've, I've experienced both sides of it where you 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 have a bad loss or a bad season and you just want to you don't want to talk to anyone you you don't want to come in and see people because you know they're going to ask you about it you don't want to go to the local cafe because you know they're going to ask you about it and that's not how you should live your life you should be able to fail and still be the same person you are um and it's that story you're telling yourself in your head you are not a you are not a bad person or a worse person because you failed and that's all the resilience thing but i think sports a great teacher for us in that as a kid even um, learning to deal with defeats and how you get past that and things like that. And how you keep going. So what are some of the techniques you have? Or you, you're talking about your mental health as well. Do you have any sort of defined processes or preparations or techniques you use? Yeah, well, it's, it's, I've been lucky. Madge brought it in um, when I was younger. We do, we do a lot of breath work. It started with the whole visualisation thing about um, visualising yourself playing and, and things like that. And now it's turned into, you know, after games, we will, as team, do breath work about trying to unpack all the things that are going on in your head, the, the game that just happened and trying to trying to let it go. I think a lot – I think I've got a lot out of it. It's, um, it's very hard to explain meditation and things like that, but it's becoming mm-hmm. more prevalent in society. Um, and I've used it, uh, I think, in a good way to be able to unpack – the stories that I'm telling myself and, and and detach myself from those stories and try and detach myself from a football player. And I think even the stuff I did was lucky enough to do with you, the the internship, it was another way of detaching myself from rugby league isn't the only thing in my life and I'm, I'm not, um, you know, my worth and my value is not um, attached to those results every single weekend. Yeah, or defined by it. Yeah. 
that point around one defining themselves is one that we see quite commonly where people are hugely successful in one industry. They may have had a liquidity event or similar and they may have even retired, but all of a sudden they go from the person who was the CEO or the founder of this business and then what are they after that? Uh, are they the ex-founder or ex-CEO um, uh, of that business? Um, it's a difficult one for people to grapple with, it would seem, from my, my vantage. Um, and I think, you know, the point you're making is a really good one. Maybe if we could talk a little bit, a bit about working with high-performance teams. Now, obviously, what are there, 13 people on a team? How many in a whole squad when you run on the pitch? We got, we're training with about 30, 35 players. From a personality standpoint, it would seem obvious that you're not, you're not going to get on with everyone all of the time. How, how do you go being able to perform very well with people even when you don't see eye to eye with them? Yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. Uh, over my career, I've seen a lot of different personalities. I've seen teams that are in very in tune with each other very well, teams where some egos can get out of control and the whole balance of the team um, goes and it's a very – I guess our you know, Robbo and that recruitment team have to sit there and they're looking at it a lot more these days. I know they are personalities, um, the type of people that they're bringing in. Um, it's a bit like the swans and a no dickheads policy. It is. I reckon everyone's got that policy. <laughs> it's, it's sometimes hard Until to Until someone's really, really good, right? Yeah. Well, that's the other thing too. Sometimes, sometimes talent can override everything. And we've seen it in all different sports where uh, we've, made, we've had it at the Rooster, we've had some some very talented players there, but they mightn't have fit in culturally um, culturally the best that they could have. But I, I want to say we see it more in the US where, yep. you know, you've seen some players who have moved from team to team to team and, you know, eventually they kind of find a spot that works, but different coaches are willing to take that risk on people. But when you're in a team and, and, there must be people, and I'm not going to ask you, in in the squad where you go, well, they don't really resonate with me or otherwise. And I'm thinking about listeners to the podcast who are parts of teams mm. at work and are building businesses or, or similar. How do they get the most out of those sort of um, interactions with team members, even though they're not yeah. eye to eye? Yeah, so this, 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 this occurs all the time. And I think the big thing, especially as a leadership group, you need to sit there and go, right, what is our – What's our goal here? What are we actually trying to do? We're trying to win games. We're trying to win a premiership. We need this person on board with us. And for him to be on board with us, we need to treat him in a certain way, which makes them feel a little bit more comfortable because we need them to perform at a certain level for us to be able to perform at a certain level for the whole cog um, to work properly. And you need to find ways to – you may not – like them or love them and you don't have to go and hang out with them and, and have beers with them after the game, but you need to be able to – walk in there and work productively with that person because if you don't, the whole thing rides on it, the whole system rides on it and you can't keep pointing fingers and, oh, he doesn't fit in, let's get rid of him. That, that, that That's not possible. So we've had a few situations and, and as a leadership group, we've had to sit there and go, what is the best way to incorporate, you know, player X into our team to make him perform at his best because that's what it is. In our industry, it's performance and if we're not performing um, – we don't have a job and we need other players to perform for all of us to perform. So as much as sometimes you, you don't get along with them or you don't agree with the, 
you know, things that they're doing or the type of person that they're doing, you need to find a way to get them to buy in, um, even if it's for a short period of time, to be able to get that objective done in that season. And it's a case-by-case basis depending on the person. We do a, we do a, an interesting thing at the start of every season. Robbo gets to do where we go and do dots. So it's like, I think it's blue, red, yellow, purple dots. Mm-hmm. So the reds are you know, assertive, just get the job done. Your blues are the emotional ones. Uh, I think your yellows are the quirk. Robbo's a yellow, real quirky, weird type yeah. of people. And your purples are the quiet, um, creative art type. But we do this process where we get to see who's what in that in our team and, um, you know, which guys are different, the, the emotional ones, how we talk. How do I talk to a blue dot on the field differently to how I'm going to talk to a red dot? So if I know, you know, Teddy's a red, I can just say, Teddy, go do that and he'll go do it. If, you know, I've got a blue dot there, uh, Suwali, right? Suwali, who's a blue dot. How can I talk to him in a bit more of an emotional way? Because I don't want to hurt his, <laughs> you know, hurt his feet. Because they, they've, they've, that's how they respond. That's how they communicate to people. So there's a bit of, it's a bit of a juggling act, but certain things like that help us as a team to, to be able to communicate better with each other and, and communicate with people we don't quite, quite understand. It's amazing, isn't it, that I think uh, people have done all sorts of postgraduate studies on emotional intelligence and, and here we've got a rugby league player schooling uh, <laughs> a lot of listeners on this podcast who are super high achievers in emotional intelligence, which I, I think is just wonderful. So, Luke, where, where does uh, the future lie for Luke Keary, do you think? You said you're 31 now, um, 11 seasons in NRL. You've got to be closer to the end of the career than you were to the start. Um, hopefully there's a whole heap of success in the future. I think you've won how many grand finals? Three now, hopefully. Hopefully more. a fourth. Two, two more. <laughs> no, one, one more. Won't be greedy. So in your view, obviously – you're starting to set yourself up for life after football, which is fantastic. You know, it's just remarkable uh, that you see a lot of sports people or people who are in known careers that they know are finite, just oblivious to the fact that they are going to come to an end. You know, as you said, you've, you've done your degree. I think you've done a bit of intern work at multiple places and spent time here at Coda and consulted widely with a lot of the managers and the sort of investors that have featured on the podcast. Um, what's it look like for you, do you think, at this point? Yeah, it's I'm in an interesting phase and I'm really excited. I've got um, a couple of seasons left with the Roosters and I'll be 32, 33 by the time. So, I'm, I'm, you know, this is probably it for me, to be honest. And I'm excited about um, the next phase for me. And obviously, I finished the uni degree to do these internships, especially the one here at Coda. Started an MBA last year at UNSW. Mm-hmm. Um, I've just found with footy, obviously the time constraints, the NRL has been super helpful with they fund a lot of the degrees and MBAs and things like that for you. Um, and my inability to work since I was 20 and in, in especially the finance industry, trying to upskill myself as much as possible and get as much exposure um, to the industry as possible before I hopefully step into it in the next couple of years. But as I said, I've always had really keen interest in business and finance investments. Um, and it's, I get, it's getting more and more for me every day. Um, the more people I, I get introduced to and get to talk to, um, and it's something I really do see myself, um, stepping into it. I don't know what capacity yet, but I really, um, see myself hopefully in the industry in a couple of years and I, I don't know where yet. Um, 
but yeah, I'm I'm really excited to to just keep learning and 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 jump into it at, at some stage. Well, Luke, thank you very much. Good luck with that. I, I'm absolutely convinced you're going to land on your feet. Um, I don't think there's too many sports people with your success pedigree, um, track record, but also your outlook and knowledge and ability to articulate yourself. I'm, I'm sure you're going to be super successful in whatever you choo- uh, choose to go down that path. Um, good luck for the rest of the season um, and good luck uh, for the time you got left in the sport. And I'm sure we'll be uh, speaking in the not too distant future. Thanks for having me on, Clark. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Inside the Rope with David Clark. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with David by visiting codacapital.com. Any views expressed in this recording represent the personal opinions of the speaker and do not represent the view of any other party. If this recording contains reference to any financial products, that reference does not constitute advice or recommendation and may not be relied upon. Listeners in Australia are encouraged to visit www.moneysmart.gov.au to obtain information regarding financial advice and investments.